If you're new or just coming along, we have been looking at this series called Mentors with a clear Star Wars theme where we're taking a zoomed-in look at various mentoring relationships within the Bible. And I, Pastor Alex has done a tremendous job of looking at these and dissecting these and then leaving us with great application to hopefully live and try and implement within to our life. And I'm excited to do the same exact thing today. And today's story, I get, maybe it's a warning, I don't know yet, you'll find out. Uh, it's a little different, but I think there's something extremely valuable to be learned from it. Uh, so, so far we've covered three stories. We've talked about the relationship between Moses and Joshua, which might be, if you've been in church, one of the most familiar mentoring stories. And then we talked about Elizabeth and Mary. And last week, Alex talked about Samuel and Eli. And we were left with an, a tremendous challenge that I enjoyed. And that's to pray the same prayer that Eli told Samuel to pray. And that is, Lord, speak for your servant is listening. Um, you know, mentorship is, it, hopefully this has been one of the consequences of what we've been talking about, and that is you have begun to realize, or it has been reiterated, that mentorship is extremely valuable. That you don't get through the biblical story without mentoring relationships. And, and, and while maybe it doesn't always say in the scripture, you need to be mentoring somebody or you need to be mentored by somebody. That is how we get through the story of God. That is how we are shaped into the people of God is these mentoring relationships. And what we see with mentorship is that it is the consistent and intentional influence on someone else's life. Influence is a huge part of this. We see this in um, jobs, there's a lot of mentoring uh, beyond the Bible that occurs now. If somebody's going to get a job, they go to college and maybe like faith went through student teaching and in a way that was a form of mentorship um, or uh, other occupations, whether it's electrician or anything nowadays, you pretty much have mentorship a part of that in order to prepare you for what you're going to do. And it's no different in our Bible because that influence is so important. But if we're talking about influence, um, then Star Wars, I think, fits the theme really well for us. I don't know of a movie series or a fantasy world that has been more impactful for our culture than Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars has definitely influenced this guy uh, a little bit. He uh, has given his life to Star Wars, right? Um, and if that's one of you, we can talk after service. I don't know who this is, but uh, I found it online. So Star Wars has clearly influenced that. I, I bet if I went into some of your homes, I would clearly see the influence maybe that Star Wars has had on your life. Is anybody willing to raise their hand to say, Star Wars would probably show up if I walked into your home? A few hands. A few hands. Yeah, some of you are like, ah, I don't want you to come over. I'm a little embarrassed by it. Yeah, um, don't worry. Star Wars has made a clear impact on our culture. And this, this weather with my, uh, um, I'm sorry, my uh, nephew. I couldn't think of the word. Wow, that was a struggle. It's not in my notes. That's why I didn't know. Um, my nephew has Star Wars everything, whether it's the lightsabers, and he's watched all the movies now, and he's obsessed with it, and it is showing up with the Legos in his room. Um, but some interesting things, uh, 
Economically speaking, Star Wars has clearly impacted our culture. They've made $10 billion in box office sales from their movies, but even more surprising than that, they have uh, sold over $270 billion worth of merchandise as of December of 2019. That is astounding, $270 billion. Um, and that comes in the form of all sorts of things, whether you have a remote control BB-8 or whether you just watch Disney Plus movies or if you're like Pastor Rick and go through the Star Wars experience at Disney World. Uh, but another, one of their most prominent uh, sales within that large number is their Legos, Star Wars Legos. How many of you have, students, I'm looking at you too, or have had any Star Wars Legos? Ben proudly raises his hand. Thank you, Ben. Uh, Star Wars Legos are like the real deal. Like, Legos goes all out in a lot of different categories, but Star Wars might be the one that just tops them all. For instance, um, the Morris family lended me just the instruction manual, the box was too valuable, I think, for them, uh, of the Millennium Falcon, and this is the instruction manual, and this thing is heavy. 500 pages of instructions on how to build the Millennium Falcon. Can you guys see that? I can't even hold it up. It's so heavy. I'm serious. And this is, this is what Star Wars is all about. This is how they make their money. And, and so I want us to... I want us to talk about this a little bit today. Uh, when I grew up, I, I too played with Legos. And... Man, Lego shopping is like some of the best shopping in the whole world. You walk down the aisles in the stores that have been dedicated. I mean, there's Lego worlds. You walk down the aisles that have been dedicated to Legos and you look on your left and there's, you know, different themes. There's Marvel, there's Harry Potter, there's uh, all sorts of things. There's ninjas, whatever you can kind of imagine. And there's like this whole section for Star Wars, right? And so I walk down the aisle and I pick out whatever picture is most captivating and they can do things with the action figures on that picture that I seem to never can do when I actually play with them. And so you pick out a great picture, you take it home, you dump the pieces out and you get to work, right? Hoping to achieve whatever's on the front of that box. Now there's something you need to learn about me though. Um, I'm in Enneagram number one. And if that you're like, if you have no idea what I just said, it's a personality type and here's what it means. You know you're an Enneagram number one when you enjoy reading the instructions of how to build the Legos more than you actually like the finished product. That's me. I'm one of the few men in the world, I think, that actually follow instructions and look at them, right? Um, you, you also know you're an Enneagram number one if, like me, you have an amazing spouse who loads the dishwasher and then she goes back down and sits on the couch and I wait a few minutes and I wander to the kitchen, open the dishwasher and reorganize everything in the dishwasher uh, so it'll wash the best so I can maybe fit more things. If I see uh, a little bit of food on the dishes, I may or may not pull the dish out and clean it off and then put it back in. And you're like, what's the point? The dishwasher does that. It's just who I am. Deal with it, okay? And that is an Enneagram number one. And so, but one day, my Enneagram number one mind about exploded when I dumped out the pieces to one of my Legos shake it out, and all the pieces are there, but the instructions were missing. I couldn't find them anywhere, they weren't in the box, and I dumped every other box I had out and looked for the instructions and couldn't find them. 
I was about to go crazy, but I just said, you know what? This is a growing experience for me. I'm going to try to do this. So I set the box in front of me, and I start putting the pieces together, together, and I look at the picture on the front of the box, and I hold up my Legos that I've built so far next to it, and maybe I take a few Legos off and then add a few more. And it didn't matter how hard I tried or really how simple the, the Lego construction was. Even though I had all the right pieces, even though I knew what the finished product was supposed to look like, because I didn't have the instructions, I couldn't build it. I couldn't get there. And this is true with Legos. I also think this is true with our relationship with Jesus. We know what the box on the front of the Lego box, we know what it's supposed to look like. In fact, maybe that's the whole reason we bought in. Man, an eternal relationship with my heavenly father, with the one who created me and loves me. Man, that's the best Lego box out there. And so we enter into relationship, we dump our pieces out, but then we, we don't really know what instructions we're supposed to follow. We don't really know how to move forward sometimes. We're maybe excited about what it's supposed to look like, but when we don't have the right instructions, it's difficult. Today I wanna to talk about, in our instruction manual, the Bible, I want us to take a look at a story to how we can make sure, as a people of God, make sure we don't lose our instruction book, but that we stay on the path because when we lose our instruction book, it's a lot harder to get where we intend to go. So we're gonna be in Acts chapter 18, and I'm so excited for this story that maybe you've never even heard before. Unlike the other ones, which I think were pretty familiar for a lot of us, we're going to talk about some people in the Bible that might, might seem a little new to us, and I'm looking forward to that. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 18, verse 18, and then we're going to jump to some later verses in, at the end of that chapter. So you can follow along on the screen here. Acts 18, this is the NIV. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that, then said goodbye to the brothers and sisters and went to nearby Century. There he shaved his head according to Jewish custom, marking the end of a vow. Then he set sail for Syria, taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. All right, I have to pause right here because I'm a youth pastor and this is just how my mind works. Uh, as soon as I read that Paul shaved his head to mark the end of a vow, my first thought was Paul would have been the most amazing youth pastor in the world. Like, I, I imagine this being like his last day in Corinth. If a hundred students come to the last service, I'm going to shave my head. And I imagine it looking a little bit like this guy. Um, I think Paul was that cool and that awesome of a guy. And youth group don't get any ideas. My wife would not allow that. So, but Paul would have been a pretty amazing youth pastor. That has nothing to do with the message, by the way. That's just what I think about. So, we're going to move on. Verse 24. Now you're all distracted. Um, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, who was an eloquent, eloquent speaker and knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had, taught, he had been taught the way of the Lord and taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and they explained the way of God even more accurately. Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia 
and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. They wrote to the believers in Achaia asking them to welcome him. When he arrived, he provided, he proved to be of great benefit to those who, by God's grace, had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments in public debate. Using the scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. Maybe you've heard this story before. Maybe you haven't. Maybe some of the people in this story are familiar. Maybe some of them are not. But let me just give you a little background. So in the beginning of the chapter, if we would have read the whole chapter, we would have realized that Paul was a tent maker and that in his tent making work, he came across other tent makers because this is what funded his missionary journeys to share Christ with people. He met Priscilla and Aquila who were married and they began a relationship. Paul started talking about Jesus with them and they came to know Jesus under Paul's ministry. And so while they too remained tent makers to raise money for now, what was gonna be their missionary journey and their work for the kingdom. And so Paul invested in them. And what we find in this verse or in this passage is that Paul now having done all of that, now having mentored and invested in Priscilla and Aquila is now leaving them as he goes on to continue his missionary journey and in a way is giving him, them the keys. He's reproducing leaders and now they are sharing and doing the same exact thing. And that's a great relationship and we could talk a lot about that, but that's not the relationship and mentoring relationship that we're gonna focus on today. We're gonna focus on when Apollos enters the story. And Apollos, who we really don't have many verses of scripture to give us any context about him, we do learn a lot in the couple verses in this chapter. So Apollos enters Ephesus and he begins preaching and Priscilla and Aquila pull him aside, as the NLT says, the NIV says, bring them into his home, probably for dinner, and they teach him a little bit more about God. This is the awkward, the weird, the one-verse relationship. So we have stories, chapters, books about the other relationships in the Bible that we have talked about so far. And we get one verse about this relationship, but I think there's a lot to this one verse. But first, let's learn a little bit more about Apollo. So we can review verses 24 and 25 and, and listen to see what can you learn about Apollos, okay? Who we, we don't know a whole lot about. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, who was an eloquent speaker and knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. So the, I pulled four main things out of this that I think are valuable for us to know about Apollos. And that's number one, he was an eloquent speaker. Number two, he taught with an enthusiastic spirit. He knew the scriptures well and he taught with accuracy. Now, if this is a resume, this is an impressive resume. I would love for one of these to maybe be said about me one day, let alone all four. So Apollos has something going for him. He's a sharp man and he's been successful in his ministry. But this is where the mentorship scene enters. And this is where the questions in my head start spinning because even though he has such an amazing resume and Apollos, there's nothing but positive things to be said about him. Priscilla and Aquila still felt compelled to talk with him. Listen to verse 26 again. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in, a, in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. 
This is a very interesting mentorship story. And what this isn't is you, you know, I was worried about preaching this message when Alex and I talked about it because the first time I read it, it felt like, so you mean I'm giving everybody in the sanctuary a free pass to then critique me after the service? Is that what I'm doing? No. And, 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 you know, feel free to if, you know, if you feel it's necessary, but you, you won't, I promise. Um, I'm just kidding. And this is an interesting story. So, what happens after this side conversation, and I don't even know what's said, Apollos goes on and is even more successful in his ministry. In fact, a lot of scholars believe Apollos ended up going to Corinth, that what he was able to do in Corinth was even more successful than what Paul did in Corinth. And Paul planted the church, he invested in the people, and then later Apollos comes after this conversation and people grow in their faith more from Apollos than from Paul. All because of one verse in our Bible that have to do with Priscilla and Aquila having a conversation with Apollos. Moses and Joshua spent years together. Elizabeth and Mary spent months together. Eli raised Samuel. But we get one verse here. We get a side conversation. Not a snarky remark, I don't think, but a side conversation, a conversation about the gospel. And this changes everything for Apollos. But what I wanna focus on and where we're gonna get our main points from today, and there's only a few of them, is at the end of verse 25, there's a little sentence that I think helps us understand why in the world Priscilla and Aquila even made this comment. Listen to this verse at the end of verse 25. There's seven words here. However, Apollos knew only about John's baptism. That's it. That's our message for today. This is, this is the reason why Priscilla and Aquila pulled Apollos aside is because he only knew of John's baptism. Now, if, if you're like me, I'll be honest, I had no idea what this meant. I said, why, why is this the reason that he pulled them aside? He only knew of John's baptism. And so I began pulling the, I guess going back to the Enneagram number one, the very organized books off of my shelf. The youth group likes to prank me. They like to reorganize my books and they know it drives me crazy. So don't get any ideas. But I pulled the organized books off of my shelf and I began looking at this verse because it troubled me that why this is all we have. What does this mean? Why is this what compelled them to talk with them? And here's what it means. And it's kind of underwhelming. So just warning. The fact that Apollos only knew about John's baptism, all that means for us is that probably one of John's disciples, that somebody that he had mentored, that's who was mentored by Apollos. So Paul or Apollos was essentially a, some type of generation of disciple or descendant of John then who had been mentored by somebody who has been discipled by John. That's all that means for us. And in a way, that kind of feels like trash talk. I don't know if you, you heard that right, but Priscilla and Aquila look at him and say, ah, it's one of John's disciples. We're one of Paul's. 
we should probably talk to him a little bit. It's kind of what it feels like. If you've watched The Office, it's kind of like Andy Bernard who went to Cornell and feels like he's got to tell everybody about where he went, right? It's like this chip on their shoulder. Well, I'm one of Paul's disciples, so uh, we should probably show him the right way, the real path. It's what it feels like, but it's, it's not. It's, it's much different than that. Uh, think of it this way. It's like if I were mentoring you or vice versa, we would look at the gospel of John. And I would give that to you and you would read it and you would study it and like Apollos, you would know it well and you would be living it well and it would, you would be teaching it accurately. But what Priscilla and Aquila realized, man, what could Apollos do if he had the other gospel stories of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or perspectives rather, how could that impact his ministry? And so that's essentially what they do. Uh, this sort of happened to me, not to me, but to one of my friends in high school. He was an Apollos-level math wizard. I mean, he had everything going for him. He was super smart. He's the kind of kid that can just do every problem in his head, no matter how difficult it is, I felt like. And I always felt like smaller around him just because he was so smart. Well, one day, um, during the ACT time in school, which is like, you know, that's what you strive for is to get a good ACT score, and there's a lot of pressure to get a good score. Um, we're all huddled up, and he mentions, you know, he gets a 33, and I'm like, cool, great for you. Um, I did not get a 33, we'll just say that, you know. Um, so we're all talking about our scores, and then one of my friends mentions, yeah, I think I could have done better if my calculator was working right. And the friend who got a 33 kind of looks at him sideways. He was like, you can use calculators on the ACT? <laughs> and this light bulb went off. And this new information for him, although he was smart, he was sharp, and he probably didn't need a calculator, he takes the ACT again with a calculator and gets a perfect score. This information, yes, changed the trajectory for his education. And in a way... Priscilla and Aquila were letting Apollos know, hey, you can use a calculator, and it changed the trajectory of Apollos' life. What I love about this story, though, and why I think it's extremely valuable today, and why I think it's very different than all the other stories, is Apollos, things weren't bad for him. His life wasn't in shambles. Things weren't falling apart. His life wasn't in ruins. Things were good. He still knew what he knew very well. Yet Priscilla and Aquila felt compelled to share even more. The reason I think that's important is I think too often the church waits for crisis moments in people's life before we decide to come alongside them. Now once they're in shambles, once we see a post on Facebook that life's not going well, we're like, yeah, maybe I, should, maybe I should reach out. When someone experiences a, a miscarriage, and I, I can't imagine the heartbreak, and they finally muster up the strength to share on Facebook just kind of what that family's been journeying through. I mean, the comments flood, myself included. I might not even know them, but I'll type something and say, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Like, I am praying for you. And that's genuine. But I feel like that's how, that's kind of our mentorship in a nutshell. That maybe it's digital at best, and maybe it's only in those moments at best. Or with, with COVID, I think of the amount of jobs lost and the people who are willing to be 
vulnerable on social media and say, hey, you know, can you pray for me? I, I just, I've lost my job. And I've seen that post a lot the last six months. And my heart breaks for them. And I type an encouraging message and click submit. And that's my mentoring relationship. But what I love about this story is they didn't wait for Apollos to be in ruin. They didn't wait till he went down the wrong path. But maybe even the reason he didn't go down the wrong path is because they said, you know what? I'm willing to invest in him now. I, I see the relationship of Jesus that he, with Jesus that he has, and I want to invest in him now. I, I'll say it this way, and if you're taking notes, here's what I'd have you write down, whether mental or physical notes. Real mentorship is the continuous investment during the mundane, not waiting till life gets insane. And I think we miss that on both sides. As the mentee, as someone being mentored, do we wait till our life is in ruin to reach out to somebody, to say, hey, I, I really need Jesus? Or are we, are we willing to do that when things are going well, knowing that that will keep us on track? And it's the same way as mentors. Who are you reaching out to? Um, I'll be honest, as a pastor, this is one of the biggest barriers I've had, I've just had trouble getting over. Um, the knowing that, man, I have, it has to be perceived by people that because I am a pastor, I need to look the part, I need to look like everything is okay. And so to reach, to reach out to somebody would mean uh, I, I'm weak, that I'm not okay, that I need help. And Faith and I were at the Cheesecake Factory last year and we were eating um, our food and we love the Cheesecake Factory. So if you're taking notes, make sure you write that down as well. Um, but as we're enjoying our cheesecake, and by the way, we do cheesecake right. You order one meal to split so that we can both have our own cheesecake, not the other way around, okay? So, um, so that's what we did, and we're enjoying our food, and we're just reflecting on how so many of our friends, only a couple years into marriage, it already seems to be crumbling. And Faith and I had and have a good relationship, um, and God has been so faithful to us, but we just kind of made the commitment again, I guess, that hey, we, we just don't want that to be us. And I know there's a lot of things that can influence that. And life gets rocky. And some of you have experienced that and my heart breaks for you. But we just wanted to make sure that we knew that we gave our best effort in our relationship being pure and it being honest and, it, and us moving forward with integrity um, and loving each other well. And so we decided, even though our relationship was solid, that we needed to reach out to another couple uh, in order to be invested in because we didn't want to go down the wrong path ever. And so we prayed about that and we talked about that and I didn't really warn these people that I was gonna say this, but, um, and there's lots of couples that we could have reached out to, by the way, at this church. Um, and we felt compelled to reach out to Rob and Kaylin and we approached them after church um, one Sunday and just said, hey, would you two be willing to invest in us? which is the most selfish, felt so selfish to me. I, I thought the first reply was gonna be like, oh no, what's wrong? You know, what's, what's going on? Why do you need this help? And they just looked at us and say, we can't think of anything better. And so now we meet every month. We talk about Jesus. We talk about, we really talk about all sorts of things, but every conversation we make sure, they make sure that we get around to how are you doing? How is the relationship going? And they keep us accountable to the people that we want to be and that God is calling us to be. I think
think too often we wait till life is crumbled, till life is falling apart before mentorship even enters our mind. I think that's backwards. I think that's backwards. I want to make one more observation about our mentorship story today, and then we're going to get back to the Legos, because they're important, I promise. Um, something that we need to realize is the conversation, the side conversation that occurred in Apollos's and Priscilla and Aquila's conversation, what led Apollos to do even greater things in his ministry, here's, here's the alert for us. It wasn't a conversation about sports. It wasn't a conversation about their hobbies. It wasn't a conversation on the blogger they follow and the new things they bought from what they shared. It wasn't a conversation about politics. It wasn't a conversation about COVID. It was a conversation about Jesus that led Apollos to do incredible things. I'm guilty of this. I've turned mentorship into hangout or when I play online video games with students, I'm like, yeah, I'm investing in the students when really I'm more invested in the game. They, you know, a student has to be on, right? And we don't maybe at times talk about everything Jesus related. And I've been convicted of that, knowing that and asking myself the question, what are the conversations I'm having with students, what am I pointing them towards? What is being built in their life by the conversations I have? And we might talk sports and I might get to know them better and I just talked with some students out in the hall that are playing their first golf tournament today and that is, that's my heartbeat right there, right? That's one of my Lego boxes that I'm building, right? And it was great, but man, how, what about the conversations that point people to Jesus? because I think this is at least where I miss the mark, and I don't know if you resonate with me, is if we utilize Yoda, it just seems most appropriate, right, as the Lego box that's pointing us in our relationship with Jesus. Man, this is what we wanna look like. We wanna be apprenticing people. We wanna be investing in people. We want a relationship with Jesus and others to share the same. If Yoda represents that Lego box, when we walk down the aisle in Target, we have all these other boxes too that catch our attention. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I understand that we are working on all these other Lego boxes and we have instructions for, uh, I'm constantly trying to figure out how to improve my golf game and I haven't figured it out yet. Or I'm constantly investing in other things or buying more hiking gear or whatever it is or buying things for my dog which I've spent way too much money on. Um, we're investing in building other Lego boxes but my concern is that our other boxes are more near completion than our Jesus Lego box. And if we learn anything from Priscilla and Aquila, what builds that and how we move forward in the instruction that God has given us is because we talk about Jesus, which is one of the hardest things to do, whether you're talking to a Christian or a non-Christian, it is one of the hardest things to bring around in a conversation. But if we learn anything from this side conversation, it's a conversation about the gospel that can change everything for somebody else's life. And I wonder if that's gonna come from us. The band's gonna come up at this time. And here's the main point that I want to leave you with, I guess. Our lives are built toward Jesus when our conversations point to Jesus. 
and I just say this, I know this is difficult. This is tough that this is, we struggle with this. I struggle with this, um, that I never want to turn somebody off to the gospel because I, you know, am so amped up. I'm not talking about the guy on the street corner with a megaphone. That's distracting at best, right? I'm talking about bringing people into our home, bringing people aside, and just being willing to talk about Jesus with the people we know, of course, and with the people that we don't know. And so my, I guess, closing question for us today is, based on your conversations, based on what you talk about, based on what you invest yourself in, which Lego box is most complete in your life? Because I know you've got some cool ones. Um, but which Lego box is most complete in your life? And my hope is, is that we might be a little more willing to build this box and it be the priority in your life over the others. But don't wait till you lose your instructions. Don't wait till life falls apart. Don't wait till things have crumbled. Don't wait till you feel like you can't do it on your own. I know I'm stubborn too. I like to try to figure it out on my own, right? But don't wait till all of that happens, but build on it now. Build on it now. And I think that we, like Apollos, are gonna see great fruit produced because of that mentoring relationship. Let me pray. And then let's we'll worship together. Jesus, thank you for being the master mentor to the 12 disciples, of course, but even beyond that, Jesus, and the way that you invested your time and those relationships. And it's because of that investment, Jesus, and the conversations you had and the things that you taught that the disciples learned. And ultimately, that's why we have this story about Apollos today, Jesus, and the great things that he did. Help us to not underestimate the power of a conversation. Help us to evaluate what our conversations are about. All these other things that we talk about, they're great, they're fun, and let's continue that, but does the gospel show up in our conversations, or is it more of gossip in our conversations? Help us evaluate that. Help us to figure out what it looks like and what it looks like for us to mentor, to invest, to have a conversation about you. Because that's why we know you, is because somebody decided to talk to us about Jesus. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. We love you, Jesus. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.